Thank you, Joseph. Good morning to everybody. Isn't it great to be here today? It really is, really is. And what a blessing that we can be here. And if you're visiting with us today, you are a special blessing for us right now. Just your being here. We're thankful for you. And uh, we pray that your being here will be a blessing for you as well as we worship God and study his word together. If you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach, please ask us. We keep saying we just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so we want to fit that particular mold and image and identity. Hope you'll come back. Be with us over and over and over again. I want to say, I want to ask a question this morning. Do you like love stories? Now, if a husband and wife or a boyfriend and a girlfriend, if they're talking about, let's go to the movies or let's sit down and watch a movie on TV, you know how that goes, don't you? The girls, they want to watch a chick flip, uh, film. Or I call it a chick flick, you know. They want to see a love story. Most of them, at least. And most of the guys, no. I want to see an action movie. But don't we all, when we're watching a love story, or maybe we're reading about a love story, don't we all eventually get into it and, oh, it fills our heart, makes us feel good? I know a lot of times we can begin to see such a story and we know how it's going to end only 15 minutes or so into the story. But it's still wonderful to see it all come to fulfillment and we see two people who love each other so much. What's the greatest love story that you remember? Some people might go back to, to old love stories like Romeo and Juliet or Cyrano and Roxanne. Or some people might say, oh, the the greatest love story I've ever seen was my mom and my dad. Or maybe my grandma and my grandpa. I've seen two elderly cousins of mine from early childhood on up. They've been gone for many years ago, for many years now. I was blessed to be able to speak at their funeral services, each one just a few weeks apart in their very elderly years. I still remember the image of them sitting in their old farmhouse long after they could really farm on the place. Old farmhouse, kind of dilapidated looking probably by that time, sitting in their front room in two chairs right next to each other, sitting there holding hands. What a great love story. Great love story. But you know, I want to talk to you today about the greatest love story ever told, ever. And unfortunately, so many people, they don't know about it. And even if they have heard about it, they kind of don't even think about it. It's out of their minds. The story of Jesus Christ and the gospel is a story of God's love. And it's the greatest love story ever told the most wonderful love story ever told with the greatest meaning for everybody, potentially. And it holds the greatest hope for anybody. The story of Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
is the story of God's love. God's love. In John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, the Apostle John wrote, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, this love story is the basis for our being able to understand the very concept and principles of love. You see, how would you define love? What would you say love is without God? People who disbelieve in God or are skeptics or agnostics, they're hard-pressed to explain some of these basic understandings and emotions, the qualities of which are basically devoid without God. And so John writes, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That shows God's love. Where do little children learn about love? From mama and daddy, don't they? They see mama and daddy loving one another, at least they should, and they see mama and daddy's love for them, and that is the basis of their learning love. Now later, hopefully, prayerfully, mom and daddy are going to teach them about how much God loves them, how much God loves mom and daddy, and that's going to broaden and deepen their perspective of love, but they learn it first from mom and daddy. And we're talking about the ultimate example of God's love. When Jesus was here on this earth, going through his ministry, ultimately walking toward the cross, on the night of his betrayal, he told the apostles gathered with him, the next day he would be on the cross. And he said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Oh, how they must have been touched, sparked, when he said next, and you are my friends, if you keep my commandments. Jesus wants everybody to be his friend. He came as the ultimate expression of God's love. And this love is also the basis for any real hope that we as human beings have in this life and after this life, looking toward eternity. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12 and verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Boy, what a miserable existence it would be. How hopeless it would be if we did not have the hope that God demonstrated to us, sent the message of the gospel to proclaim to us that was all sent, all devised, all brought into being because God loves us so much. And this is a hope that sustains us and assures us in the midst of and in the face of life's most challenging situations, disappointments, hurts. Romans 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing this world can offer us begins to compare 
in magnitude to the hope that God offers us because he loves us so much that he sent his son into this world as our savior. Oh, the greatest love story ever told. God sending Jesus into this world with the message of the gospel. The story of God's love, we can read about it over and over and over throughout the scriptures. The Bible is really a story of, a message of God's love for us. But you know, when you think about it and you say, okay, help me try to understand it in a more succinct way, nutshell way, kind of boil it down for me, help me to see the very essence of it. The story of God's love is succinctly told in one highlighted verse of scripture. Perhaps the most memorized and quoted and thought of verse of scripture in the entire Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is God's love story toward mankind. The greatest love story ever told. Let's look at this in parts. For God so loved the world. How often do you think about God actually loving you and loving everybody around you, loving the world? Love is part of God's very nature. John, again, writing, and he writes a whole lot about love, but also obedience. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, he wrote, Beloved, let us love one another. Do you love one another as we should? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ as you should? That's not a kind of just incidental matter. Jesus gave it as a command in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he went on and talked about how that love that we exhibit toward one another, not just in a piecemeal fashion, not just a spoken thing, not just a felt thing even that we keep to ourselves, but an open demonstration by the way we act toward one another and talk to one another. He said, that world's going to be able to see me in you through the love that you have for one another. And of course, that love began with God sending Jesus to the cross and Jesus lovingly going to that cross. And again, he was giving this commandment the night before he would be hanging on the cross the next morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Did you ever stop and think that love, the kind of love that, that John is, is communicating here, writing about, that our faithfulness, our dedication to God, our living the true and effective Christian life is really revolved around God's love for us and our love for God? 
exhibited not just toward him, but toward our brothers and sisters in Christ and everybody else? We need to love souls. We need to love each other. We need to demonstrate God's love through the way that we live our lives. In verse 16, we know, uh, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Now that's the basic definition. That's the most, the, the most rich definition of love. God. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And if we are absent of love, or if we do not let love flourish as it should, as God intends it to, as God, God intends for it to in our lives, then we may be in trouble in our relationship with God. We may not be what we ought to be. In Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, God's love is visible in the message of his love for us. And again, that's the gospel. The message that Jesus was sent from heaven to bring to this earth to all of mankind for all time, that God loves you so much he's made a way for you. Even though you're sinful, he's made a way for you to be forgiven, to be saved, to be redeemed, and to have a home with him for all of eternity in heaven. God's love. In Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We can be forgiven through that gospel message as we come to our Lord in obedience. We should exemplify God's love in our lives John, again, in 1 John, as I said, he wrote a lot about love and also a lot about obedience. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then in chapter 4, in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We talk about, whoa, whoa, whoa. Laying down my life for my brother or sister in Christ? For my brothers and sisters in Christ on a more general basis? Do you love your brothers and sisters that much? See, we think about laying down our lives. Jesus did that literally, physically, in going to the cross for us. But we need to lay down our lives in ways through which we're serving one another. We're being there for one another. We're strengthening and supporting and encouraging one another. Remember what the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews 10, verses 23 and 24, that we need to hold fast to our statement, our belief, our conviction, our commitment and dedication to God, but also that we need to encourage one another. We need to be encouraged by one another. And he said, that is accomplished so effectively by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Verse 25. We need to be together. We need to love one another. We need to put away any feelings, negative feelings that would hinder us from having and nurturing and expressing that love for one another. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
God demonstrated his love for us in a way that would seem incredible from a human perspective. If we're not really already tuned in to God's love for us, he loved us so much that he sent his son from the throne room in heaven to this world in human form to bring that message of salvation, but that was not all but to actually go to that cross and die to pay the price for our sins. In Romans chapter 5, I'm just going to pick out three verses in this immediate context that so forcefully demonstrates God's love for us. Paul said in verse 6, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly not for the godly we cannot be godly without Christ and his death on the cross he died for the ungodly remember Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 all have sinned and come short of the glory of God Isaiah chapter 59 the first two verses our sins separate us from God Romans chapter 6 verse 23 the wages of sin is death when we were still without strength in due time, at the right time, God sent Christ into this world to die for the ungodly. And in verse 8, God demonstrated his love toward us. God's love story again. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, enemies of God because of our sins, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God demonstrated his love for us by sacrificing the life of his son on the cross while we were still sinners to pay the price for our redemption. The guilt of our sins that we could be brought back into a right relationship with God, our Father our creator. Sending Christ to the cross is the ultimate manifestation or demonstration of God's love for us. 1 John 4 and verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested or demonstrated or made visible toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live through him. It was by God's grace, motivated by his love for us, that Jesus died to pay the price for the sins of all mankind of all time. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, that is, he, became, he came in human form, for the suffering of death, he came to die on that cross. That would be his ultimate fulfillment of his mission, dying on that cross. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For everyone. Oh, he was offered by God to bear our sins. Hebrews 9 and verse 28, and repeated again in chapter 10 and verse 10. If you want to look at it in more detail, go back to Hebrews chapter 7 and read verses 27. He was the one time for all time sacrifice offered by God himself to pay the price for our sins. 
And that is God's love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, not a word we're going to use around the dinner table today, is it? Or in common conversation with, with one another. He sent his son to be the substitute for us. To die in our place. Since the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, Jesus took our place on that cross. All of the ones around him, before him, on either side of him, they were the ones who really deserved to be on the cross, but he right there in the middle of those three crosses was the one who took the place for everybody else. He died in our place to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. The rest of that verse in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He went to that cross for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him Whoever believes in him, he did not come just as an anonymous savior, but he came bringing the message of faith in God through Christ. Our faith in God and Christ is key to our being able to fully experience the blessing of God's love for us in sending Christ to die for us. In John chapter 3 and verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh yes, he came to teach us about faith in him. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes faith again. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, for everybody, all of humanity, all across the world, we're saved by grace through faith because God, in his love, exhibited his grace, sending Jesus to that cross on our behalf. But now, Jesus warned that if we do not believe, then we'll die in our sins. John 3 and verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because the because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There is no other Savior. There will be no other Savior. The Apostle stated in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, on the night of his betrayal in, in, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only Savior, the only Savior. In, Acts, in John chapter 8 and verse 24, again, Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, the Son of God, your Lord and Savior, you will die in your sins. But God loves us so much that we have the opportunity to believe in him. He came here demonstrating God's love for us. But now, 
True belief, true faith in Jesus is coupled with obedience to him through his teachings. In John 12, in verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Obedience goes with our faith. A faith that is devoid or absent of obedience is a dead faith. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the Hebrews writer said, speaking of Jesus, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. You'll read over and over again where Jesus said, I've come to do the will of my Father. That's obedience. Verse 9 says, and being perfected, he became the source or author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Real saving faith is obedient faith. Obedient faith. In fact, in that great chapter in John chapter 3, where we find that succinct statement of God's love story, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, the very last verse in that chapter, verse 36, says, he who believes in the son and has or has everlasting life. And now he who does not obey the Son. Now I know some of your translations may say that he who does not believe the Son. But there are actually two different Greek words in that particular text. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. To truly believe, to truly have faith, we must obey. In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. There's no way to get that salvation before the obedience of being baptized into him. If we do not live by his teachings, God is not with us, 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And we demonstrate our love toward God through living obediently to his commandments, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God does not want anybody to perish for all of eternity in their sins, unforgiven. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. He's exhibiting patience with us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But our coming to repentance is absolutely essential. It's required by God. He's giving us time, but we must come to repentance. In John chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus, God sent Jesus specifically, specifically so that we can be saved, so that we'll have the opportunity. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How sad it is when you do something really good for somebody who is in need of having something done for them, and then they don't respect it. They don't respect the act. 
They don't really express much in the way of even thank you, if at all. And they don't really show you any kind of respect or appreciation as your relationship goes forward. Now just imagine how that would hurt, how that would, you would say, well, that's really irresponsible. That's disrespectful. And you're talking about just between two human beings. But imagine how much more profoundly disrespectful and unappreciative it is for us as human beings to know that God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and we just turn away from him. We turn away from his love. We will not give our lives to him through Jesus Christ. We will not be baptized for the remission of our sins. We will not repent of the sinful ways in which we are living our lives. How that must hurt our heavenly father who loves us so much to have done what he did for us and continues to do for us. In Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 22, Paul wrote, But now, having been set free from sin, there's no greater freedom than to be set free from sin. And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. That's what God wants to give us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord because God loves us so much. And as we walk with him in faithful, consistent obedience, we can be confident in this blessing. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John wrote, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Oh, we can live this life with confidence because of God's love for us, God's love for you and me as we make it more personal. In Titus 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Sometimes we run into people around us who tell us things and they're just abject lies. Some people we might have known, some few of us perhaps, who have known individuals and we realize with a little bit of hyperbole that when their lips were moving they were probably lying because that was their nature. But God cannot lie. That's absolutely against his nature. So we can be confident of the blessings that he wants to bestow upon us if we will come to him in his way. Repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in Christ as his son, our Lord and Savior, and surrendering to him in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross in our place will cleanse us of the guilt of our sins, and we will be saved. We will be reborn spiritually. We will be made new spiritually. God's love story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest love story ever told to mankind. God's love for us. All of this began with God's love. God's love story. 
we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And God loves us so much that it was not just a one-time act of his love, but he loves us so much, he loves you so much, that as you walk that faithful Christian life, he'll be with you. He'll watch over you. He'll help you fight that good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you also you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Once you are reborn into Christ, God will be with you. He will help you all the way. The Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 13, verses 3 and 4, he'll never leave us as long as we never leave him. Do not give up. God will give you the victory because God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, you, should not perish but have everlasting life. The greatest, most wonderful, most meaningful, most promising, most hopeful love story ever told. Will you come to God in your love for him? Ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins? Or do you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason? Or do you need to study his word further, more deeply? We'll help you with that. Are you ready to respond to God's love? He loves you so much. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?